there and welcome to Golf Lovers United, where we discuss golf the fair way. Joining us today is a legend of the Golf Channel and one of the current live golf commentators. It is, of course, the one, the only, Jerry Foltz. And Jerry dives deep into what makes live so special, but also what changes would we like to see to the live format? My name's Mark at Golf Dad UK over on Twitter. And as always, I'm joined by the fantastic Jay at Pro Golf Critic and Ben at Golf Lover UK. And if you want to discuss golf, if you want to discuss this interview with Jerry or any of the topics that we cover, you can do so over at GLU Golf Club on Twitter. And you can tell your friends about this episode and you can share this or even just subscribe yourself at glugc.com or in your podcast app of choice. Sit back, grab a drink, and let's listen to what Jerry has to say about everything live and beyond. The Live London event, um, there was the press conference and there were questions asked. And, and I just asked the question, I said, especially Ryder Cups come up, it's really relevant. I said, the, the, I think the videos had like 1 million views. It's ridiculous. And I said, you can't tell the story of European golf without Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood and Henrik Stenson. Um, many, of the, many of the media in here have, have, built, have built their careers on the backs of your hard work, reporting on what you've done. How did it feel when they stabbed you in the back for 12 months? <laughs> from uh, The bad part of it, from my perspective, is, is that those guys were unfortunately doing their jobs um, when they were stabbing everybody and all of us in the back as well. Um, and that's the unfortunate reality that we lived with for a year. But there's there's ways of doing that, aren't, aren't there, Jerry? There's ways of like, – you, you take Bob Harrig, for example. Like I really get on with Bob. Bob's been much more down the line than many other people, and he hasn't always necessarily been pro-live, for, for sure. But he's he's never gone down the, how dare they do it, they're a disgrace, bringing up other things. And um, there there are journalists who've had these conversations and they've, they've voiced opinions without necessarily being nasty or a race to the bottom. Now, I understand people have got a job to do, but uh, the race to the bottom stuff doesn't always, well, ever really sit well with yeah, it. No, a journalist, journalism is a, a dying art because a true journalist is an unbiased person, an unbiased reporter. Um, and we don't have a whole lot of those left, Bob Herrick being one of them, and he's dedicated his whole career to it. Doug Ferguson is very much one of them as well, but he hasn't really said a whole lot about Liv because he doesn't see the upside in reporting on it, I'm sure. Um, Rex Hoggard from Golf Channel has been extremely fair, and extremely fair and, and balanced. And, and when a journalist starts throwing in opinion, then they cease being a journalist at that point, and that's what we have run into uh, from all sides. Jerry, do you think there's do you think there's something in the modernity of journalism in insofar as we live in a world where clicks lead to advertisements on websites and so on and so forth? And I'm wondering how do you, how do you feel live and and the entire advent of something fresh would have been reported on 20, 25 years ago? Would there have been a difference? Do you think if clicks weren't a factor and if 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 it wasn't all about instant access to stories and that race for search results and social media? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it would have been reported a lot differently, a lot more, a lot slower, that's for sure, because uh, then you had to, you read about it in a publication or something. So there would have been a lot more time put into reporting and fairly reporting. And even if you had a bias against it, 
uh, a little more research done into that as opposed to the race to be first to get the clicks as the current emerging media market uh, has displayed. Um, I also think that had had it been any other country, say Norway, who has a very large, large sovereign wealth fund, even bigger than Saudi Arabia, had they been the backers of LiveGolf, there would have been just as much vitriol against it. And for who knows what reasons they would have found from Norway being involved, but it would have been the same thing. Um, and that's that was kind of the, the most, I would say, disappointing part of what happened a year ago. Uh, that that uh, I understand why the PGA Tour mounted a campaign to try and crush Live because that's their that's their job. They didn't want to lose their monopoly, um, but I, I didn't understand how so much of the media jumped on board with it, uh, out, other than out, out of fear of maybe losing their uh, their ability to report on the PGA Tour. I don't know. I don't know anything about that, but it's the only thing that makes sense to me because. Um, to look at the product and 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 see what we were able to do in a very short time and still be very critical of the product and the players if you take the funding away from it, which many of them, you know, tried to do, uh, I think they were extremely unfair. You know, I think that kind of leads into sort of obviously the last year, year and a half has been really interesting. There's been <laughs> a lot going on in the pro golf world that sort of uh uh doesn't even need uh need a re- recap at this particular point but 2024 and 2025 seem like really interesting times for live golf it seems like a lot of barriers that you guys had initially are starting to be removed a little bit uh and i was i was wondering if you could kind of uh jump in and sort of uh say how uh you sort of see things move moving forward like uh, compare, you know, this time this year to last year and sort of the reception in the golf world. Have any of those, those barriers already been removed or are we still trying to uh, uh, to wait for the framework to uh, be pushed through? I think a ton of barriers have been removed. It wasn't overnight after the press conference with uh, Commissioner Monaghan and Yasser. Um, it certainly wasn't overnight like we a lot of people thought it was. There's a lot of cleaning up to do still. Um, but I think it's a real exciting time for live because uh, because I think a lot of the world who only, you know, only had those clicks to go by to get their information have kind of opened their eyes a little bit. The golf world and even the non-golf world and especially the business world have opened their eyes a little bit to the potential for what live might bring them. Um, I know that worldwide now, the the amount of places and countries and governments and courses and resorts that want us as opposed to tolerating us is uh, is outstanding. It is. I don't want to be the guy who has to decide where we're going because there's offers coming in all over the world that are exciting. I've, I've seen a glimpse at next year's schedule. Um, that's not final yet. And it's it's really cool. And then of the other places, because we only have 14 events and we're only going to do a certain number of those 14 events out of North America. Um, and it's it's in demand. And I think that's a really cool time. I know I talked to Dom and Faraday and Arlo and Sue Ann quite a bit about it um, and even Troy. But in 25 years, when if I'm still around on a rocking chair somewhere, probably not as squeaky as this one, um, I am going to look back and say, man, I was, I'm so glad I was a part of that from day one because it's really turned into something special. And I know it's going to be something special for a long, long time. I completely agree. That, that was some, something that I've mentioned to, you know, everybody that, that I've talked to at live. I felt like, you know, uh, you guys have, have been the 
smartest people in golf uh, for the past year, year and a half, getting in really early on on this because just knowing uh, sort of where I felt felt like like golf needed to go, uh, live was was really the sort of perfect uh, perfect complement to sort of increasing uh, golf globally because I I do feel like in in a lot of ways in the U.S. it is a little bit bit saturated and I feel like if we're really going to grow it we really do ha- have to go to all these you know corners of the globe where you know uh, like australia has been dying for you know high level golf and and cer- certain parts of asia and and uh etc cetera, etc cetera. I, I definitely think that those those are all uh you know important points um is is there any sort of breaking news about about the schedule maybe maybe a little nugget of information for our listeners that uh you may want want to break on our uh on our podcast no pressure though i love my, i love my job too much for that no that uh that's it was funny how uh how is it broke that we were going to australia wasn't it uh david Faraday breaking that news in a on a corporate outing day when we were going to australia this year um and, and we made a lot of fun of him for that so no i'm not i'm not going to cross that line because the uh, the schedule's not official yet but uh i know it's close i know they're going to release it soon but um yeah it's so obvious that the growth of the global reach is just important to people that australia is now going to be right up front and it feels like how can we fit in these extra events and obviously you know way more than i will know and your job is too important to to risk saying but the the noises that myself and jay are hearing is that it's going to be seven potentially eight of the 14 events outside of the us now i don't want you to comment on that i don't expect you I wouldn't put it in a position but the larger point of that is isn't it amazing that the golf is go- golf is going to be going global and that we're going to be having that reach outside of the United States. I know the United States is 55% of the golf community. We hear that regularly, but that's an aging demographic and a non-growing in some ways demographic. When you look at Asia and you look at some of the Asian countries and how they're taking it, you look at the, you look at the reception in India for Anaban and some of the other guys who've been playing the Asian series. What are your thoughts on that global reach that Liv, Liv is giving? I'll tell you what, there is one guy who's negotiating all of those, uh, all of the tournaments for, for sites that want it. Um, he could easily sell another 20 globally in a heartbeat and, and 20 phone calls today. Uh, there's, there's so many people that want it, so many countries and even governments getting involved like South Australia did with, uh, with the Australian event. Um, I think that was part of Greg Norman's vision. Greg Norman's vision 30 years ago when he, when he had envisioned a world tour. With a small field and, and and a limited number of events to really increase the popularity of the stars, and I think that's one of the brilliant things that Liv did early was going out and signing not only the biggest stars but the strongest personalities in the sport to draw people in who might not like the stoic nature of the game itself when as as viewed on TV. And uh, James Watson and Will Steger and David Hill, who was kind of the the thought the the brain trust behind the whole broadcast style have done an incredible job of bringing a bunch of stodgy old golf commentators in and making us kind of have fun covering golf and doing it fast and doing it action packed and bringing in that top golf audience and that, and that person maybe uh, cruising through the channels and, and seeing something that catches their eye, who's never watched golf before and say, man, this is kind of cool. You risk alienating the, the hardcore viewer uh, in doing that, but the hardcore viewers that uh, that I've talked to, and of course they're you know they're going to 
temper things with me in a one-on-one conversation uh, because I'm such a big proponent for live golf. But the hardcore viewers still love world-class golf, and they love watching these guys do what they do. They love watching Patrick Reed as a, I mean, just an absolute magician around the greens. They they're still waiting for Cameron Smith to miss a putt. You know, they love watching this and the nonchalantness of DJ and the power of Bryce and all those things are huge selling points for people who don't haven't really had a lot of exposure to golf. 30% of the people who show up at our events have never been to a golf tournament before in their life. 30%. That is unheard of by basic standards and PGA tour or DP world tours uh, numbers. And I think that number is even higher. That's on average for the year. I think that number is hugely out of proportion when we go to the international events for people who haven't had the exposure to world-class golf before. My wife is a prime example of that. And I've told this story uh, both on Twitter and myself on here before, but my wife, um, she came with me on Friday to live London and she absolutely loved it. And she said before, and I've spoken to a couple of the, the guys in the live world, like Jane and fed back that my wife's feedback was that I never knew a golf event could be f- such fun. My wife enjoyed watching a bit of the golf, but she enjoyed the, she enjoyed the, the, the village. Now, if people haven't been, Jerry, that village is, if we took, do it in golf terms, it's a 200 yard wide, 700 yard long par five of drinks, music, entertainment, shops, games, activities. And you just see people of all ages. It was struck me how many women and young people were there. Yeah, it's, uh, we were in, you guys know the Munos, right? John and Kristen Muno, the, uh, the Twitter uh, people that love coming to events, super. Yeah. Um, they had oh, yeah. friends come to the event in Tulsa, and uh, and and the, but they didn't they didn't know they could bring their kids, so they didn't they weren't sure they could go. And we got them tickets, and they went. And John was telling them a story about uh, one of the previous events they went to, where the family brought the kids. The kids were too young to really want to go walk around and watch golf. And the parents split time in the fan village with the kids, and they said they had the time of their life, and their kids had the time of their life. Um, yeah, that's what I, it's. It's just so much more fun. I got a message while we were on the air in Tucson from a pretty prominent golf instructor who teaches a lot of PGA Tour players and a few LPGA players. And he also has a very prominent position at a, at a prestigious golf club here in Florida. And, uh, and he, you know, he had to come out kind of incognito. And uh, he texted me during the show. He said, who said golf can't be fun? Because he was having a great time, an absolute great time. And so that to me is what really is uh, – the real selling point of live is making not only from a broadcast standpoint, it being fun, but also from a fan experience point being fun. And it is fun. I haven't talked to a single person, a single person in what, uh, how many events we have now, 20 something who's had a bad time at a live event, not a single one. The thing that also struck me was I, and I know some people have criticized it and I understand different, but having, three of the teammates play together on the first day actually sees a very weird vibe where they're playing golf. They're being competitive, but you actually see a real fun side. And so much so I I joke about my live caps, but my wife and I, we followed the rippers round for a while and anyone who spent time with the rippers or watched them, you see, you see Matt Jones and you see leash just having fun and laughing it's infectious. And they, and while they're playing golf, they, while they're waiting for a shot, they will walk up, they will walk up to the line and they will say hello to fans and sign autographs. And it, I know people do it at other places, but it feels quite organic. It's not in that two yards after the 18th green where they've got to get a signature before the player runs away. The players are very open and 
I'll say no more on it because otherwise I get accused of prattling on about how much I love the live live event. But I just think that three man group where they play in their team, that is so different, Jerry. What have the players said about that? Because they seem to love that. They absolutely. And, and it sounds like lip service. Um, I was really sketchy about that when I got to London last year going, what is this team aspect and what are these corny ass names? And uh, and I talked to Westwood and Poulter on that the night of the, the draft party, and uh, and they were they had a whole organization already in place. The Majestics did. They were all into the team aspect. Of course, being UK based players, they played a lot more team golf than Americans did. If you didn't play college or high school golf, you didn't play team golf, and they were all in. They saw the long term value of the team aspect, and the players have bought in to a man. Absolutely to a man. It hasn't been forced upon them at all. They haven't had, they don't have talking points that they're given to say, here's what you say when asked about the teams and all that. They love it. Bubba Watson, oh my God. I don't think he'll ever play individual golf again if he's not part of a team. He just, he's so into it. Patrick Reed, uh, he, <laughs> they, there's so much, and it's going to get even more exciting how, how into it they are as we get into the off season where there will be, you know, recruiting of players from outside uh, lives uh, the, the, the open zone, if you will, 25 to 44 on the points list. There's going to be recruiting of players. There's going to be guys trying to sell each other, uh, sell other players on joining and coming out and having, you know, join this team, be part of my team. I want you. There's obviously there's financial talks involved in doing that in terms of equity in the team as well. And then there's going to be all kinds of trades, uh, and and there's going to be they're going to start using a hell of a lot of analytics to try and decide who's the best fit for their teams long term. And I think that's gonna it's going to create a lot of as uh, as Mark said clicks along the way in the off season. This is really our first ever uh, you know free agency period as soon as we get done in Miami in a couple months. But they're all in on the teams, Ben. They are. It's exciting. I know. Uh, you talk about the players being laid back more than they would be on a PGA Tour event or a DP World Tour event. Uh, two things that came to mind when you were talking about that was what Raymond Floyd once told me. He said, you know, the guy you're playing with, uh, half of them, half of the guys you're playing against hope you make bogey. The other half hope you make double. And, and that's not the case when you're playing alongside teammates. And then when you have 48 guys who all still feel a little bit like rebels in the industry, who are, they have a common bond, even though they're competing against each other, they have a common bond being part of live right now. And that's kind of refreshing. But Patrick Reed's told me that once he joined Lib after the first couple, two or three weeks, uh, that Justine said she'd never seen his teeth that much, that he's, she's never seen him smile so much on a day-to-day basis. And I think that says a lot about how the players feel about being a part of Lib. The team aspect is, it's fascinating, I think, for so many people that are casual fans of golf, so people that may not watch it all of the time, they're so used to just switching on golf on a Sunday and seeing the same kind of format and there's nothing wrong with that you know we've grown up with that that's the legacy and the history and it's 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 fantastic at what it does the team element being so regularly a team format is such a fresh part of live if if we if we were to hypothetically move forward and we we look at the framework and we look at the way that everything's going to shake out and there there are always compromises aren't there we know that the team element um is is something that live brings to the table that is new so regularly in order to keep that live spirit, in order to keep the accessibility, what are some of the other things that, that, that in your opinion, Jerry, just have to stay when it comes to live? What are two or three things that, you, that, that, that if they were to go, it would be a travesty and it would, it, you would lose the essence of what live really is? Uh, well, 
one of the huge things is the three-day events. The three-day events is it takes so much stress off the players. I know it's only one day, 25%. It takes a ton of stress off the players. The other part is, and I don't see it changing in the foreseeable future, is fans aren't on property up until the first day of competition. They're not there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, Thursday, they play nine holes each in a pro-am. It's all crafted to make their life a little easier from a demand standpoint uh, in that regard. So I wouldn't want to lose the three days. I wouldn't want to lose the – I don't think a single player wants to lose the shotgun start. So we couldn't – if we did add teams, we couldn't grow too big because you overload the course and you're looking at one of the worst things about other professional golf, and that is five- to six-hour rounds. Right now we're playing every round in well under five hours, a lot of them closer to 420 with 48 player field on a golf course. So that I think the fans like seeing as well. You go out there, if you just want to camp in one spot next to the, the beer hut or whatever it is and, uh, and watch in, in four hours, you see everybody go through, you get to, you know, you get to see every one of them or, uh, and I think that, that part it would be a tragic, uh, uh, would be awful to lose. Um, I don't know anything other than that, that we have to, you know, we have to hold on to. I, I think, I think not having interchangeable players as part of a team is kind of important, but I could see a, I could see a day when each team has five or six or seven players and they pick their starting four each week. Uh, and you know, other guys will have other commitments to go play PJ tour, DP world tour, Asian tour, or wherever else. But uh, I can see a day when that happens. And, uh, and I think that would be exciting. But right now I like that the fans can. The fans know who those 48 players are every single week. It's, I love watching NASCAR. I absolutely love watching NASCAR. I know it's polar opposite to professional golf, but I know, I feel, I feel a connection with every one of those 43 drivers in every race. I completely agree. That, that's uh, part of the reason why I've been so um, high on, on live in the 48 uh, players is because you get to know everybody's st- stories so much more in depth every single week you're building on you know a personality you're building on someone's career trajectory like you're able to get to know these folks which you know as much as i I like the pj tour like having 156 players in an event and then having i mean what 300 plus players that that play every tour season like it's really hard to get that context roles those players so uh and uh, and Ben and I have argued over, over the past six months about sort of how how many players is the right number. I think 48 is perfect. I don't really You're want wrong. to change. <laughs> but, you know, any anything in that, like, I, I think there is, you know, a little bit of diminishing returns as you get to a cer- certain amount of, amount of players. But um, I, I think anywhere in the 48 to, to probably 60 is fine. Um one question that I, that I did have uh, for you is kind of in the same uh, same vein of you know keeping things is is there any sort of one change uh, if you were let let's say you were commissioner for a day uh, is, is there any one change you you would want uh, to make that potentially you know is good for, good for the fans or some, something you personally would uh, want to see change? I think from a player standpoint, I would never want this to happen. But from a fan standpoint, I think uh, the one thing that I would change as commissioner would be all four scores count every day. Um, not three out of four. It's just it, number one, it's a whole lot easier to keep track of then. And number two, uh, 
the weak link starts getting a little more pissed off occasionally on when they're having a bad day, you know, and uh, I think that would, that would make things more interesting, more intriguing, certainly. Um, but I'm not sure as a player, I would, I wouldn't want that comfort of knowing that if I just have the worst day of my life, I'm, I'm still fine. You know, I'm still fine. I'm not going to kill the team. Uh, you still feel awful about it, but you're not going to kill the team. Yeah, I've I've definitely gone back back and forth on on that. Like I do feel like uh I like having 3 out of 4 scores count just because uh you know, I I, I like uh sort of dropping one uh during the the uh first maybe maybe two rounds. Uh but I also go back to the uh, team finale in Miami and how interesting it was uh where all four scores counted at the very the uh, final day and it was like everybody was under so much more pressure to perform um and i and i've heard people like pat perez talk about it like uh pat perez got a lot of crap last year um except he came to play on that last day and uh in my eyes he's basically the reason why the four aces won uh and and that is like like a really cool element to me and, and i thought that 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 was except i i like the sort of specialness of of that being on on that that one particular day it's like hey we've played this whole season um every score counts now let's see what suit you you got uh if you if your team has a weak link it's going to be exposed today but uh every everybody has to come to play so i thought that that was really exciting so i i definitely tend tend to go uh go a little bit back uh back and forth on that but i could definitely see it both ways too so yeah. Well, there's there's no other team sport where uh, any player who's on the field of play, their contribution to the team doesn't count. There's no <laughs> other team sport where you do something that just doesn't count. Yeah, so that's, that, to me, can kind of resonate more with the non-golf fan. The one point I just wanted to make real quick was that J- look, Jay, he knows I love him to bits, but he is wrong on the 48. So... <laughs> <laughs> the only the only the only thing I've noticed live, Jerry, um, is that there are at times when you're when you're at the event and you're on the ground, there can be fifteen, twenty minutes I, I was I was stood with um Brian um um Brian Ken's uh coach and we were sat there waiting for, for the group to come through. And um what we noticed and we found was we were saying is that he was waiting for James, James Pike. He's James's coach. We were waiting for the group to come through. And he said, he said they're just putting and they're just finishing off and he was coming through to the next hole. But we had been waiting 15 minutes and then we waited another four or five minutes. So I just think that if you have 15 teams of four rather than 12, you're just able to get those full tea, those tea times. You just fill out those tea boxes just a little bit more so that you, you can remove some of those gaps because that would be my only complaint about the live experience with live is that you did have at least a few times in the day, a 20 minute gap where you didn't see any golf at all. And you, you can solve that problem immediately. And also from a business point of view, if you're trying to, bring in extra players can you want to create equity partnerships and equity opportunities if you've got three more teams there's three more equity captains you can have to bring people over so i think from a business point of view that's a good thing but from a fan point of view you don't want a 20 minute gap because again with other professional tools you do get that 
And that would be one thing that could be solved without having bunched up and six hour rounds. Yeah, there's uh, most PGA Tour and DP World Tour events, there's 144 players. So at any given time, other than the first two hours of play and the last two hours of play, there are 72 players on the golf course. In majors, there are 78 players on the golf course at all times. We have 48. So, yeah, you're going to get those gaps because there's two holes where nobody starts on. 60 players, that adds three teams. That keeps it at a at – a, it has to be a multiple of – basically, if you're going to add anybody, you have to have to add 12 players at a time so we can keep the shotgun start and keep everybody on the team. Although there are some other scenarios where you wouldn't have to do that if by chance we had Monday qualifiers or something just playing for the individual purse or adding all kinds of different dynamics. Um but yeah, if I, I don't know what they're planning on. I've, I've heard the talks. I've heard the rumors. Um, I'm not in those meetings at all. Uh, I'm the last guy in those meetings, but, uh, I, I could, I could see the day where 60 is, is the magic number. Absolutely. But I don't know. I like the intimacy of the 48. Uh, you know, I'm sure you could throw 60 or 70 drivers on a, on a super speedway in NASCAR, but then you don't know the other, you know, you have a hard time. Uh, attaching some kind of relationship to those guys. And I think the PJ tour is the first thing they learned from live in the, as, as things unfolded was that um, the, the non-star players, all great players. There's no such thing as a rank and file PGA tour member to me. They're all great players, but the non-star players don't drive the revenue, don't drive the fan base, don't drive the interest or the ratings. And uh, then they obvi- obviously figured out a formula where they could get all their star players to play in a certain number of events. So uh, I don't want to get that number too big to lose that star power. Yeah, you know, that that's where I, I def- definitely uh, net out to. And, you know, it could cer- certainly be a situation where certain events, because uh, there, there's been sort of some rumors kind of have come out with with the potential uh agreement in the merger where you know there are certain live events where PJ tour uh players come in maybe uh maybe those are the the events that go up to uh, 60 maybe maybe we are talking 12 teams of 5 or something uh where you know you sit one potential uh one uh player on your current team and you bring in two you know PGA tour players to your to your team. This this is just me thinking out loud because the this is literally what what I do every single day of my life is is sort of go through scenarios yeah. and sort of figure figure out what what uh potential possibilities we uh we have in the um, in the golf world. And, and that's what makes this time so exciting to me is that this is the, the first time in my lifetime that, you know, you actually have this possibility of all of these new things. Like we've had PJ tour events that have been pretty much the same for many, many decades. Now you have this other option where you potentially have all these new collaborations, which, which is really where I, I kind of see, see the, sport going and uh, to me as a longtime golf fan for almost i mean gosh 30 years almost maybe 25 plus uh that's the most ex- exciting part about everything that's sort of come on the last couple months with um everything that happened june 6 um I, I really thought that like that was the most exciting thing to me like all the potential possibilities that are there out there so i agree i've uh, had a number of chances to have conversations with Phil Mickelson, um, off the record conversations, truly off the record conversations. And, uh, 
And he's smart. I, the reason is because he's smarter than me and I trust what he says. And he has a 30,000 foot view of what live is and what it's going to become better than just about anybody I know. And he has the relationships to be able to, to back up the formation of his opinion. And, uh, and it, if you ever get the chance to talk to him about it, it's, it's pretty damn cool what, uh, what the, what the potential is and what in his mind, the reality is going to be of live golf. I just want him to keep playing because I like my job. As soon as he says I've had enough, I'm gone. Hey, he's sitting there next to David, not me. Yeah, no, it's funny you met, mentioned that. Um, I'm uh, planning on going to the uh, finale in uh, Doral in October. Uh, Phil's promised me a little bit of time where I'm going to pick his brain on some of this stuff. So, uh, and maybe put it in, in a uh, a writing piece that I'm work working on. So, uh, no story for another day. That's another teaser for every uh, everybody, but. Um, I, I, I know we ha- have to get, get you, uh, going Jerry, but, um, no, a couple of quick questions that I had just, just to sort of wrap, uh, things up. Uh, one, one of the things, and we've, we've kind of touched, touched on a little bit, but, um, I know the last year or so the world of professional golf has been, uh, you know, there's been a lot of divisions. There's been a lot of resentment from you know various places uh you know i think that it's you know uh those those are things that that have uh, uh continued to sort of pop up even after the sort of mer- mergers happened uh is there anything from your perspective uh because i i do think and and this is me being being a little bit biased i think that the pj tour uh uh, uh they've been more re- responsible for some of the divisions in, in golf and sort of fanning the flames of, the, of that. Uh, is there anything that the PJ tour, whether it be leadership or players in your mind could do to sort of help uh, to mend fences? Because that's where I am now. Like I, I felt like I've been fighting this battle for a year with people coming at, at me on so- social media for like, liking live. Now I'm, I'm all about sort of healing um, a, a lot of these, uh, sort of, uh, rips. Um, is, is there anything you think that the PJ tour can do to sort of help? I'm not, I'm not sure what it would be. And I'm not sure it would be my place to, to say, um, I think first biggest thing they need to do is get their house in order. Uh, they have a lot of dissension amongst their troops out there with, uh, with between the, the troops and the leadership. And I don't know if that's an easy fix. I don't think it's an easy fix. Even if uh, if they had a change in leadership, I'm not sure that heals that wound that was created on the 6th uh, during that press conference because a lot of those players feel hurt and betrayed. Um, I think you need to take care of that before you start trying to take care of the relationship uh, and the and the perception of their stance toward Live Golf and the people that are part of Live Golf because that was – I mean, it was extremely brutal. It was brutal to deal with that. The player, from a player standpoint, I'm an announcer. Nobody cares. You know, I got a little bit of the vitriol online, but not not anything like they, what they've dealt with. Um, and I and I will be the first to stand up and shout on a mountaintop that it was completely unfair. That it was completely unfair, and it didn't come. Mostly didn't come from the players. It came from a few mouthpieces for the PGA Tour that happened to play, but not from a lot of players. Um, and and I, I think that is that those those wounds are deep and they take time to heal. They will heal uh, because Live Golf isn't going to let anything happen to our guys. Um, and I, I, I know those wounds will will heal, 
but it's going to take time. And uh, I think what we do, we just keep moving forward with with what we have proven that we can do, and that is bring a new format, an exciting format, we believe, to a, to a new fan base and to still try and, and attract the current fan base for professional golf. And we keep doing that. We can't lose. We absolutely cannot lose because every indication, every barrier we've had to cross, we've crossed. Every indication moving forward is nothing but positive signs. And uh, all the naysayers out there, they keep having to invent new things to criticize us for because we we have gotten past it all. I, I kind of it used to hurt a little bit first few months of live when I'd see some of it online. Now I just kind of giggle at it. And, and it's, you know, Greg Norman told me a number of times, but he told me in London last year in the men's bathroom of all places. Um, he said, Jerry, just take the high road because there's not a lot of traffic there right now. That's a great way to say it. It really is. I wanted to give uh, Jerry the opportunity to, if uh, he had one major championship, let's say he's a golfing god, he wants to give one player uh, a major championship, either a past player or a current player that he feels like deserves it most. Who is that player and what is the championship? Um, the, well, the player who deserves it most is the easiest one of them all came to me instantly. And that's a, 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 a woman player, Judy Rankin, never won a major won tournaments that became majors before they were majors. Judy Rankin, hands down the classiest human being I've ever met on the face of the earth. Um, but from the men's side, it, it, it was, I mean, this young lady above my shoulder here, who happens to be my life partner, Karen Stupples, she, she came out with it instantly. When I asked her, she said, well, that's easy. That's Westwood. It's Westwood. Absolutely Westwood. He got to number one in the world and never won a major. And I don't know. Um, I don't know how many people don't like him, but I've never met anybody who doesn't like him. I, I know he'll he'll kind of stand up for himself on social media. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, do that, Lee. Uh, but he's just such a good, good dude. And so, so devoid of ego for somebody who's accomplished what he has. Um, you know, I, I can't give him the Payne Stewart award or something like that, but if I could give him a major Lee Westwood and the open championship. Love that. In, interesting. Interesting. You said the open because I, and there's no disagreement, but English fans of Lee Westwood, we just always think about that, that, that masters, that masters that it felt like was going to be his. And then that shot off the pine straw and everyone just went, Oh, he isn't going to win. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not a fair world where Lee Westwood doesn't have a major and Danny Willett does. It just doesn't seem fair. And Danny Willett is a great player, but he's got a master's. He's got a green jacket and Lee Westwood doesn't have anything. Um, there aren't a lot of examples like that, but there's a few. Uh, and in men's golf, it's fewer than it is in, in women's golf. Or in women's golf, it's fewer than it is in men's because they have five majors a year. And their their stars at the top aren't near aren't quite as deep as it is in in men's golf, but it's getting a lot closer. Yeah, it's a great point. Well, yeah, thank uh, thank you again, Jerry. Uh, you know this this has been. I know when we had talked in uh, Tucson, um, you were pretty adamant that that you you wanted to be you know my uh, first guest when, whenever I started a podcast podcast and you know i really do do appreciate all of your time and this this is i know you think i'm bsing you but i'm not um i really do appreciate all of the information and sort of the uh, just the warmth that you've shown shown me over the past year you know it uh speaks volumes you know it's it's definitely helped helped me 
um, understand more about live golf and uh, professional golf in general. And, and uh, I've, I've learned a lot from your commentary over, over the years. And uh, yeah, thank, uh, thank you again for your time. And we will def- definitely want to have you back soon. Thanks. I, I actually enjoy talking about live. I'm kind of passionate about it and I appreciate you giving me the, the platform to do so. Lots to unpack there from the marvelous Jerry Fault. If you enjoyed this episode, you can discuss it with us over at GLU Golf Club on Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast overall, remind your friends that they can subscribe to in their podcast app of choice or at glugc.com. Until the next episode, look after yourself and keep on enjoying your golf. Bye-bye for now.